Boo! Made you jump. Like a zombie, you forgot to double tap to the head. We're back from the dead. We follow on from our Halloween episode to talk more about horror games to fill you with dread. Let's slither into the episode and take a bite in the night. Hello, everybody, and we're back. We're back once again. We had an epic Halloween episode last time, so we had to follow it up because otherwise you'd have four-hour episodes, which I'm sure you, quite a few of you would like. But in this episode, we've decided to talk about all things uh, Halloween and scary and East versus West types of horror and many things more. Joining me is Valentina Chrysostomo, who can say hello at any point once we take her out of her coffin and say, rise. Hello, everybody. We also have Jonathan Dredd Wilson, who has been scaring people in the attic. Hello, Jonathan. I don't always scare people in the attic. Sometimes it's just bursting through doors, but hey, everyone. Okay, there are options. I mean, you have to keep it fresh, you know. And Robert Rigamortis McLachlan is back from the dead too, joining me. Hello, Robert. I haven't quite reached rigor mortis, but it's very good to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's, you're, you're floppier than I expected for some <laughs> rigor mortis. <laughs> Last episode, if you haven't listened to it, get on your podcatchers, on your whatever device you're listening to stuff on, and go and have a listen, because we're continuing from that. We talked about loads of different things in the last episode, and we came up with a whole bunch of ideas that we wanted to, to investigate further. <laughs> so I wanted to kick off this episode because one thing we touched on was a lot of remake games that feel more Western than the Eastern counterparts, right? So there's been a bit of a, I'm not going to say East versus West, but there's a very kind of Japanese tradition of games compared to Western kind of games. I mean, okay, uh, I'm looking at around the room. There is somebody here who worked on Silent Hill. So that's kind of a very representative one. But we also have, what, Resident Evil games, which kind of have been remade recently. And, and they feel a lot more Western than, than the originals, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got games going back all the way to the Super Nintendo, haven't you? Games like Clock Tower. Right. We've got, we've got a list written down here just for the yeah. listeners at home, just a sort of crib sheet to make us think yeah. about things to talk about. And yeah, there's been generations of these games have been made and many, many sequels added because they have always sold really well. I think that Western audiences have got a real uh, yen, if you'll forgive the expression, for East, uh, Eastern horror, especially Japanese horror, which has carried a load of these, what you could horribly call franchises to... Uh, some some of the best loved games on especially playstation right fatal frame was that the playstation or am i getting that was on playstation 2 i believe i i just got my playstation 2 back i might have to give it a little go yeah i play i played uh silent hill on the playstation obviously uh silent hill 2 i have silent hill 2 on my desk ready to go into the playstation i only need a special dongle to bring back technology from in the 90s in, uh, so somehow i can plug in a playstation 2 into uh, a modern tv i still think it's the best play to place uh silent hill 2 mm-hmm. um, yeah. because the, re- the remasters are terrible yeah it's a it's a glorious experience and silent hill is a great example for this east versus west west type of uh, design because i think with silent hill 5 homecoming and silent hill downpour we see a lot of that 
Japanese sort of style of horror fade away. And I think one of the yeah. controversies that we had with felt more like, I don't know, a fan outrage, I guess, was the, the fact that it didn't, it wasn't really uh, doing Silent Hill justice. It, it kind of shied away from um, the lore and just the craziness that Silent Hill had and just the risks that those type of horror games take in comparison to the new releases we get from Western studios um, that are a bit safer and more uh, unoriginal, if that, if that can be a word we can use. In that shift you're talking about where it started to become more westernized, was there a shift in developers? Was like development shifted from like, let's say a Japanese based studio to a Western one? So that's, that was going to be one of my things about this East versus West thing. You were going back to the PS1 and Sega and everything like that. All these games started out coming from Japanese like development studios. So Capcom came out and they kind of kickstarted a survival horror genre on the PS1 with the original Resident Evil, like through to Resident Evil 3. So then West can only be influenced by that and then start to put their spin on it. So I think that's what we started to see, like when you're talking about the Silent Hill changeover, it's the influences kind of crossing over with each other and West and starting to win out. Yeah, that is that is an interesting point. I mean, you've got to, I guess, another point to, to that argument is um, the fact that Silent Hill is really a Japanese response to American horror. So it's a bit of a feedback loop, right? It is. It's a real feedback loop. Yeah. It keeps going backwards and forwards and both sides are sort of feeding from each other. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's fine trying to find the balance, right? And we like we said, this is a feedback loop. It like it might have started uh, in the East because that's where a lot of game developer studios were at the beginning. But as they started cropping up around the world, especially within America and within Europe, that's where we started to see different influences come into these development cycles, which is just the different mentalities. And then the market's a whole different story to pull into it after that. What's the most recent Japanese horror game you guys have played? <sighs> New one or remake? Uh, whichever. Obviously, Resi is the... Yeah, the Resi sort of... 3, I think, is the... Was it made by Japanese studio? Well, no, I guess it's got legacy, so it's, it's not made by Japanese studio. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's Evil Within made. Yeah, yes, Evil Within was made yeah. from... Uh, so I think that's the most recent one. Everything else was like Alien Isolation or Outlast or were made by either an American company or a company in the UK. So I think that was the most recent one and that, that you can see the differences. They're a bit more crazy with the things they add. Things don't have to make sense exactly. They're deeper. There's a deeper like logic and lore and backstory. And then when you play in comparison, a game like Outlast is, it's a bit more simpler is uh, you go into this, whatever, I don't know if I'm mistaken, like hospital and then things happen. There's like psychopaths in there and it's like, Okay, it's pretty clear. It's just another horror game, which is very terrifying. But the the concept is um, is a little bit more simpler than playing Silent Hill or Evil Within, and you have all these crazy things happening, and you have no idea what is happening half the time. So I think that's the main difference that I I see in in those kind of games. And uh, this is completely unprepared for this for this episode. So massive apologies to, and I'm making massive assumptions. But I think in Japanese culture, there's a bigger tradition, I think, and I think this is through Shinto, Shintoism, that there is different spirits and ghosts in various things. 
right? Mm -hmm. And that deeper law kind of comes out in games. Like what are the most famous films of what, the 90s of like The Ring and mm -hmm. The Grudge and all these things that there's a spirit in the house that has got of revenge that stays behind, you know, these kind of deeper laws and deeper things that like, well, obviously that house is haunted because someone had an argument and they didn't properly do X, Y, Z to dispel that or... Do, do you see what I mean? Is that that kind of mythology? I don't know if that's the right way that, to present it. I wonder if how much of it is to do with publishers as well and the risks that publishers were prepared to take. I would say that in Western audiences, when the video games market went through its various evolutions, I think that horror wasn't really a big part of that, especially in the US. And so that kind of became a self-fulfilling prophecy in that horror games weren't made because people didn't think that they would sell. And then when the Japanese games came in, there was a tremendous hunger for them. And suddenly people realized that horror games are something that, that people do want to play. I mean, I want to say that there's, there's definitely, I'm sure there are loads and loads of exceptions that prove the rule uh, that were happening, that were being made at the same time. But as I think it goes into sort of cycles of horror, I think horror is the, the undead genre that refuses to die. It's a real yeah. bell, bellwether genre where very popular in the indie sector very popular in um this is for movies as well right oh yeah absolutely mm -hmm. i mean yeah. movies especially because you have such a massive return on investment on on how much they cost to make right yeah uh, like blair witch we, and we stuff, took, yeah. yeah blair witch was made was was it famously made for like 10 or 20 grand camping equipment the cameras check I don't know how much you have to pay for a witch for for a, for a for a couple of shoots but 20 30 grand only what about the actors what do they get paid there were the people that were making it. Mm. Hopefully, they were on a, hopefully they were on a percentage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, okay. But of course, like, horror games cost a lot more to make, or now they do anyway. I mean, if you start looking at the dark pictures and the super massive games, yeah, yeah the super mm -hmm. massive games. Yeah. I mean, those are like if there were a a horror game that a horror film that were cheap to make, but they're a horror game that's kind of like a horror film that has a whole interaction to it. And that's not going to be cheap to make. Right? I think like bringing up um, Supermassive and their approach to how they did horror, that's possibly a good way to look at maybe the contrast of the more West versus East approach. So the most recent one mm. is probably Evil Within in terms of a horror IP that came out like quite recently. It was quite new and made it into the mainstream. And then the Western more approach was to make this kind of interactive horror movie with all these kind of bending and branching stories because it does encourage replayability and stuff like that as well and it is this kind of eerie very tense sort of thing because if i remember rightly in evil in until dawn the creature was always alluded to you didn't really see it very often but the tension was built up and like pierce the piercing and everything was actually done so it was like a typical horror movie you were playing through and you can also see the setting of it the setting was uh, just a few teenagers at like a sort of cabin in the, cabin in the, the woods <laughs> so it's not really yeah it's not really very japanese right it's, exactly. it's super american mm -hmm. that's the most american thing you can have like the blonde girl the geek guy yeah. um i don't know those just the stereotypes which are really good to use when you know how to like write proper characters and i think until dawn did it deliberately like they deliberately had these characters that were very specific because they're, they're the stereotypes and the archetypes that you find in in horror movies usually and i think that they did a really good job when it came to like creating the the whole backstory for until dawn and how everything worked um i really enjoyed that game i think it lacked a little bit of um in in terms of dialogue and 
you as a player not knowing exactly how things would turn out there was no uh, sometimes you did things and something else happened completely so you, you didn't have the ability to understand its design and what were the rules of that game but other than that I think it was a pretty great attempt at making an interactive movie slash horror game it felt like almost when that came out it was like this new genre of kind of like obviously we'd had life is strange and like the walking dead and stuff and telltale up until this point but it did feel it was this little don't forget niche. david cage games not horror games though no. <laughs> ah, okay but the the, the the gameplay was yeah. there from yeah that's yeah. true but yeah it was an interesting take on how to make another niche within the survival horror genre or horror genre sorry well uh, i mean those those are like quite movie-like ones of of loved the recent and this from all over the place a collection of very indie horror games are, are coming out have you guys seen this is it the yeah. dark x collection i'm going to put a link in the bio for, for the things because i'm getting the no, names wrong they're like it's like 10 indie games that you can go and play for that which is kind of they're all taking inspiration from the game from the early japanese games in a way uh, uh, sorry guys um, uh, there's a whole range of games they're not all taking inspiration from that but it's that kind of lo-fi style but also a sentiment i don't know how to explain it more that brings back kind of the idea of these these horror games and i mean i remember the first time i saw silent hill it is it, this strangeness to the western audience right because it's it's not the slasher which is what we're used to generally in western but there's only like so many different you either have monster in the house or some weirdness but silent hill was like so topsy-turvy and, and with foreign concepts even though everyone was american and the music was american it just didn't you know fit the expectations and silent hill was um, a psychological game too so it required a lot of patience and that's something that ties in with what rob said previously publishers want something that will sell, I don't know, 10 millions of copies instead of 3 millions of copies. So it's much harder to uh, convince someone that this level with this horror like jump scares and this gameplay is going to be good enough because horror doesn't come together until the very end. It's very hard to to make sure that what you're doing is going to be good. And, and it also has a niche audience too. Like not everybody is going to play a horror game. So it's even harder to create that kind of genre uh, when it comes to video games. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most brilliant things about it in a way, because it's created a very uh, fertile environment for uh, indie developers, you know, even one person to create horror games on their own. I think that the wonderful stuff that I'm seeing now is, is carrying on a grand tradition of of reacting to to myths and legends and now urban legends uh, and things like things that have grown up on the internet just quite quite recently so you've got games like slender man you've got mm. games about siren head uh, all from creations of, of of trevor whose name i've forgotten who creates these amazing creatures that uh, everyone sort of builds mythologies around on the internet uh it was really really brilliant things and they're they're, they're quite you know, they're very, very low budget games. Uh, they're, you know, produced by one person using asset store assets, but you know, they're, they're great fun and uh, yeah. really, really, really uh, great fallout from the thing that Val was saying, the fact that publishers don't want to take a risk on what is a, a really big budget. I mean, any game now is big budget 
so it creates a space where there's a hunger from the audience to want to play more and more horror games, which is being filled by indies. And games have become more expensive to make, I think, and that's when we also saw um, horror games kind of like dim out and there were like the new consoles coming out and you know if you're gonna create a game you you have to create something that will sell so it's going to turn dead space 2 into dead space 3 and then i think that's like the big differences that we saw uh, with with horror games they started becoming more action and and shooty in a way for example like we have resident evil three one two three and then we have four which obviously implemented the the third person camera which is great but it also started becoming more shooty and then we've got five and six which are completely there for me they're absolutely no there's no horror in them it's not scary anymore it's just monsters and you kill the monsters i think one of the greatest recent horror games was uh well not wasn't recent now sorry i'm showing my age was um (laughs) a reaction to japanese uh, sort of legends and things was fear yeah where you mm, had a, right. a creep a creepy little girl wandering around with black hair over her face which was really taking on the the kind of the, the, the reference from the, the ring, ring and the stuff bridge. like that yeah it was an amazing action game it was a really brilliant ai had fantastic level design and uh it was a really brilliantly made game so i think there, there's a space there for this but we've been talking about this cross-pollination between East and West and what other people are doing. Yeah, we're not here to bash on like the differences. We're not here to say, oh, your publishers don't care about horror games or like the Western games are not as great as that. They're just different. And I think that we were also lacking a little bit, or maybe we're just nostalgic of the games we used to play on PS2 and we kind of want to see that come. Um, maybe we, we just want to see a game like that, maybe, but it doesn't mean that any of the games, like, for example, there's a lot of people who love Resident Evil 6, although it's not the same as Resident Evil 1 anymore. So it's just different audience and for it exists for different reasons. I think also it's like using Resident Evil as the example, I think it depends on what your first one was. So if it was one, two or three, then you're probably instantly going to dislike five and six. But if your first one was four, you're going to be much more likely to accept what five and six became. Um, like for instance, five for me was a fun co-op action game, but not a scary game whatsoever. Six, I didn't really enjoy. Um, but what I was going to say, obviously, we said publishers won't take real risks on horror games. Like I feel, unless you're an established brand at this point, and Resident Evil's the prime example of this, it's still going. Obviously, they went back and played it safe and remade two of the original Resident Evils, but they're still going ahead with the franchise. Right, seven took a massive pivot and detour from what we expect from it, but it turned out really well for them. It kind of, I feel that reinvigorated the franchise. So I am interested to see where it goes going forward with their village. Yeah, that's why we have Resident Evil Village mm-hmm. now coming out. That's probably inspired from Resident Evil 7 yeah. rather than from the remakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, has any of you played Resident Evil in VR? Resident Evil. I played Resident Evil 7 in VR a bit, yes. And yeah, um, how was that? <laughs> uh, apart from being a, being a bit confusing because whenever you move or something is about to happen like um when when like one of the characters is going to attack you they the, there's a black cutout uh and and then it happens whereas when you play a game there's no cuts like that oh normally mm. when, you, when you play so apart from that which was a little bit off for me i think it was uh a pretty horrible experience in a good way. <laughs> I played it the second time. So I played Resident Evil 7 normally and then I played it the second time. I knew everything that was going to happen and yet it was still really nice to experience that. Even though I knew the jump scares and everything, it was 
it was pretty cool. I think VR definitely has a lead when it comes to horror games. As a designer, you have to take a lot gentler or lighter touch in some points, I think, because... Can be almost too overwhelming. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think I did one game once in, in VR and I think it just jumped out and I was like in, 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 you know, in the editor and that was like, this is literally not scary. This is like a box jumping out, you know. But when I tried it in VR, I think I nearly fell down and I designed it, you know. Listeners might realise that I'm a bit of a chicken when it comes to horror. So yeah, I'm absolutely great with that. Like what Mark's describing, it might have been a simple prototype, but just everything is amplified in VR. So you can get the smallest of things that doesn't impact you or make you jump or anything in a third person game will get to you probably in a VR scenario. And that, and that, that horrible feeling that you're you are somewhere else is accentuated massively i think we talked about dread horse in previous episode which had a very horrible atmosphere and the expectation that you were going to be jumped out on it wasn't a very complicated game design but in vr it was extremely effective because it put people in an extremely alien and horrible place that they knew something bad was going to happen in there and also, like we were talking in the last episode, we were talking about like 90 degree corners, right? Now in VR, you have like the the, the, the ability to, ver- you know, like that doesn't work as well because you can literally just peek out. A little- mm-hmm. By the way, listeners, everyone in, in the in the podcast is now looking around the corner. So I, I wish I could have got a screenshot right. of that. We're just leaning <laughs> left and right. So that, you know, that trope or that design go-to doesn't work as well compared to you know things that you might have to look underneath the desk and something peeks out as an example right um so i think there needs to be for vr especially designing vr you need to create a new language and i think so i saw someone playing alien isolation in vr which you know that takes a lot more rectical fortitude than i personally have i think i'd be far too scared as it is but with that, you can see, you know, you have the fight or flight instinct, but you can kind of like just peek around a little bit and see where where the alien is, where you'd have, um, uh, what's it called, higher limits, you know, because you can only peek out so far with a controller. Or with, you, know, you can be very delicate and see the, the tail or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you can design things differently in VR. If you see that player, a lot of players are just peeking from behind corners, you can maybe design jump scares or something that the alien is kind of standing around the corner or sometimes will be around the corner. So you'll be more scared to like do that. So that kind of will stop you from doing, overusing the mechanic. Um, But like you said, it's a whole different language because if you imagine a game that has a lot of VFX and um, maybe just general post-processing in their game and suddenly you are in VR uh, all of that is going to be really dizzying and even mm. animations that the first person character did like I don't know fainting and falling on the floor if you do that in VR everybody's just going to fall together like, w- with the character it's very dizzying and those kind of things have to be encountered for it and even removed so it, it changes the game a lot you have to think if you're going to make a game in VR I think it has to be 
you know, you have to know from the beginning, this is going to be in VR because the design is going to depend on it. From a character controller point of view, like what you were saying, you can't make them fall down. So if you just got to strip everything right back, it becomes the most basic character. You've got hands and you can grab stuff and that's about it. It's all the other systems that suddenly become 10 times more important because you can't make them fall out. So it's cut to black. If anything happens to you, it's like cut to black, something happens and like that's kind of it. There's not really anything else you can do right now without making the player be sick, be nauseous or disconnects which is what you want to avoid i mean if we're talking vr i mean half-life alex is a great example i realize it's not sold as a as a as a horror game but you've got face huggers and that or just just that that you know head crabs so, or sorry not face huggers you're, you're mix, mixing means. your franchises terribly there mark i'm sorry I, I was still i was still scared of alien isolation all right i was i'm still quivering about alien isolation but already you have something on your face and, and just having this image of something jumping on your face whilst you have a, a big VR helmet already puts me into slight, you know, a fight or flight. That first person in your face thing is is why VR is so scary. That kind of first person attacks right right in your face because you are quite defenseless. You can't you can't protect yourself in VR. And that's 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 a mechanic that's been used in in games before VR was even a mainstream thing. So you've got games like uh, Fatal Frame and Outlast um, and uh, Clive Barker's Undying. What those games have in common is they have a device in the game, whether it's a camera or a, uh, a video camera or a kind of second sight thing. That, you, that was you, in Undying, yeah. In, in Undying, yeah, that you can look through at certain points in the game. And the action of that is to concentrate your attention on a certain chunk of the screen in a very intense way. So when jump scares happen in in that situation when you're looking through the camera uh, or or um, looking through the second sight thing they're much much more effective because you're you've put yourself into another level of presence in the game because you're saying okay i'm accepting that i'm a character holding this thing and now i'm going to look through it and so you almost become the character it's a kind of i would say it's like a a different level of consciousness almost and i remember in in undying i i I was watching someone play it and they just looked at some picture of some two people and then turned on the second sight thing. And of course they turn into these sort of horrible demonic people. And I gave a very pathetic yelp and jumped back. <laughs> I think there's going to be some interesting games coming up. There's some new technology called LiDAR and, and mobile phones and iPads are now allowing you to use them as second cameras, you know, without whole motion tracking rigs. So I've done some, test and this is not to show off anything this is one of the the apps that unreal engine gives you that you're able to navigate the virtual camera in your game engine with an ipad so you're actually moving it up moving it around and that could also be a very interesting you know second screen you know the canny game developer could make someone quite disturbed by that if you were to insert some presence into someone's house through an ar game that, right you know you were you were playing a game which you didn't realize was a horror game. Well, you knew it was a horror game, but <laughs> you were looking through the through the. You can change the color of your house, sofa, and then suddenly you get <laughs> you get a figure in the background. And you think, "Oh, what's that? Who's that?" And that's like that's again that's the thing that's in, been in ghost stories since the 
since mirrors were a thing is that the mirror is a horrible portal to another world and mm. that i know people who won't look in a mirror when it's dark still you know even after 20 years of not being a child i'm not saying that's me <laughs> but they won't look in a mirror when it's dark because it's they, you, they say they say they think oh i'll see a i'll see a figure behind me mm-hmm. if i look in right. a mirror when it's dark i mean mirrors are scary in the dark because you can oh, see yeah. yourself but you don't really see yourself you only see some highlights in your face and it becomes scary it's, um... Yeah, I read one of the worst, one of the scariest ghost stories I read. I can't even remember who did it. I think it may have been someone like Roald Dahl or someone. But uh, there was a some guy who goes to a house and there's all these mirrors and he's there on his own. And then he realised that in the mirror there's something stalking him and moving through the rooms behind him that he can only see them in the mirror. Really, really horrible. I read it late at night once and couldn't get to sleep. Yeah, thanks, Roald. Yeah. One thing I will say about that, though, that's a super fun game mechanic just right there. Like a house of mirrors where something's chasing you through the mirrors. <laughs> oh, oh well, now we've got ray tracing. <laughs> <laughs> can make the first ray trace tower again. So only the 100 people will be able to play it on their PCs. See, niche. Sticking to the mall. Very niche. niche. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, VR is niche. You might as well go for the like the people with a double RTX card. <laughs> I'm selling it to only one person. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the guy that's playing Crisis. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. One thing that got me thinking while you guys were talking about all these different games is that we didn't actually talk about the difference between um, level design in a horror game and level design in a in a, just a normal game like what, what do you think is the most important tool for a level to be designed when you're designing a horror hiding game? stuff as in i would say like uh if we're talking about the 90 degree thing i mean the other thing that could come to mind is you know uh if you have uh, a whole bunch of doors from the left and the right and you have to walk down that corridor and you never know when something's going to jump out right it's the same as the right angled corridor right because you have to get right up to it to turn it I mean, I think that's one one part, like being able to having very obscured entryways. Sorry, I was thinking about this. <laughs> we could talk about the architecture and we could also talk about the pacing. Yeah. So, for example, with with pacing, uh, when you are making a horror level, you have to be very careful not to keep the tension too high for too long because people get tired of it and they'll either just stop playing or they won't get what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, is any other ideas about the pacing and things like that? I think in horror games in particular, because we've seen the level design, it's been able to easily distinguish between kind of like what is a safe area. And because without those, you can't really do pacing well because you don't know when you're in like a respite zone or whatever. And like you've got to build that language with a player or you get stuck at 11. And then like Rob said, eventually you say, I, this is horrible. This is this torture. I don't want to be mm-hmm. at 11. When am I going to be safe? Um, and that the concept the concept of safe space has existed since like the original Resident Evil's, right? You had the safe room. It's just how we interpret that it. That was now. the best feeling, wasn't it? Yeah. You went to the safe room and there was like a safe point and you're like, oh yes, I can relax now. Although there <laughs> is a glitch in the recent games where um, the enemies can kind of a little bit glitch out into the door and they'll go in and then they'll mm-hmm. just, just they'll back out and you can't see them backing out for no reason. Yeah. But it's yeah. <laughs> but that's also that's also a mechanic, right? Is that like you you have like the 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 bat battle areas or the 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 areas where you can be attacked and the safe spaces but you can subvert that later on in the game because once you've gotten used to these Mm -hmm. safe spaces Mm -hmm. and then you don't have to specifically attack the player in there but if let's say 
I'm going to use uh, alien isolation as an example. If you've got areas that you know that the alien can't get in, right, and it's your little stash place that you're safe, if you come back to it and you see that the alien has been there, mm-hmm. right? It, it's it's a new scare, like you're terrified. Oh, no, is this not safe anymore? Right. Uh, speaking of alien isolation, I think one of the things that Rob said about the pacing, uh, I think alien isolation had a lot of, I don't know, like scary prolonged sections where you couldn't rest and you you, I mean you could yeah you can hide it in a locker but that's not ideal that's just hiding but there was there were sections where you were just scared because the alien was around and then you would walk up a flight of stairs and you think oh okay I'm gonna chill a bit but nope it's another area where the alien can be around you never knew clearly when you were safe enough and when, when the alien would be around so sometimes it would uh, keep up the tension for a long time and, and you have to take breaks by just leaving the game yourself instead of continuing to play the game. I think there were areas, and I might be wrong, that you encountered a different sort of threat that you could manage very easily, but you knew that the alien wasn't going to be around, like the Worker Joe's areas. Yeah, there were some of those areas, but they're still scary, right? Absolutely. But I think it was like, oh, it's a different level of, you've just ratcheted it down a little bit, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. which is still is still variable. I don't know about the dark pictures type games. Do they have, very, I guess it's interactive. So. Those are very movie-like. So I don't think, like mm. I, ex- from my experience playing them, I, I don't really think there's a level design, um, I don't know, kind of like benefit to that because they're all very linear. They're all very specific and very narrative driven. So it doesn't matter where you go. It's, it's literally, it's going to be either a room or the left or straight ahead. There's not a lot of exploration and any they don't have exploration you're right but they do still have the concept of piercing but obviously because it's a linear it's a case of the player choosing to stop to explore a space or talk yeah it'll be like you're in a room before you progress you can have some optional conversations with a character before you move on to your next scare or whatever before you hit the next like high intensity bit um, but yeah it's, it's tends it tends to follow more of the movie piercing structure than a typical yeah. gaming piercing structure you know i could totally see that as a great game to play with others right mm-hmm. you know it's like like a movie you can watch yeah. it like, oh what did you do like we've got a few seconds all right do this and it doesn't matter your choices are too wrong do you know what i mean it's like yeah they'll remember that well done <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think one other thing when it comes to pacing is uh when it comes also to level design is that you have to create areas where nothing will happen and then you're just working on them for so long and you just oh what are you working on anything exciting no i'm working on the literally the most boring area because it needs to exist be- be- before the exciting area and after another exciting area so it's there's going to be a lot of i guess in triple a maybe game um, like horror games there's going to be a lot of asset creation and just a, a lot of production done for for areas that nothing is going to happen yeah but that's the important part yeah 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 i mean it's important that's what i was trying to say it's like really important to create those areas even though maybe there's not as much gameplay i guess in that way yeah those are the places where you can explore your backstory and explore the relationship between the characters in your story and fill them with things to look at and see and do so the player knows they are mostly safe so they can yeah exactly let their let their guard down a bit and mm-hmm. you could you could introduce a, a game mechanic like Silent Hill's radio, which is very good for mm-hmm. saying, you know, the radio starts hissing, you go, oh no, there's an there's enemy nearby, but you're not very, re- you're very rarely going to be surprised by, you know, just something that's going to jump out on you. It just doesn't, doesn't really happen. So you, you have that 
you have that warning you have that that ability to 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 switch off a bit when when you don't hear the radio hissing yeah do you sometimes think that um some of the design is too on the nose because i remember when i used to play ps2 games i would sometimes feel okay i'm in a safe area now i don't have to worry about anything i can just completely let my guard down and then you'll know when you're approaching something that is about to happen it's kind of the same when you play an uncharted game when you see like props placed on the floor oh it's a combat area something's gonna happen here it's the same uh did did you guys have any experience with recent games that maybe made you feel like that yeah i think i i I agree with you there Uh, it can be if you have a very unsatisfying divide between those safe calm areas and the areas where things happen that where you start with big action i think it's one of the most divisive elements of uh silent hill shattered memories in that there was uh, explicitly no combat or really any scares in the um, in the normal world. And it was only when you went to the ice world that you started getting chased. And I think a lot of people felt that that spoiled the tension of the places where well, when you weren't in the ice world because you knew you were safe. Uh, and some people like that. Maybe people are uh, sort of clocked differently. <laughs> so they go, yeah, I want to be in threat, under threat all the time. Those are the people who really, really enjoyed Alien Isolation, I imagine. Um, I found it just, yeah, like you, like, like other people have said, uh, I found it too intense for too long. And I had to take a break every, every now and then and just say, I, I can't play anymore because I've died and I don't want to do that again. Or I just can't see other way through at the moment. So I'm just going to take a break. Speaking of the tension in Alien Isolation, I remember there was this one moment at the kind of like the first hour or two of the game where you had to wait for the tram to arrive and there was this music and it was slowly building up, building up and you just had to wait in that area and you were looking back because you just encountered the alien in a cutscene. It was the first time, well, you didn't see the alien, it just dragged someone into the vent or whatever. And you were kind of going and you encounter the tram and you're waiting for it. And there's the music building up, which was great music too. So it's like, oh no, it's coming. Where am I going to hide? There's nothing you can do. The tram arrives, you get in and that's it. Then nothing happens. It was building the tension so much and nothing happened just with music. There, there is a great article, if uh, and I'll post it in the show notes actually, which is by someone called Jared Mitchell. And they said, creating horror through level design. And they're saying, which it, which parts of your core game loop you want to introduce like a horrible event i mean if this is more of a scare type subversion of expectations so we've got like you know your game loop generally where you have like a problem presented to the player uh they they're basically observing it taking it in then they plan a potential solution to a problem so at that point they've got the peak cognitive load of like trying to think about how to solve the 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 problem and then they execute the the solution to the problem and then you get a reward for for doing that you know if it's if it's successful you get a reward if it's unsuccessful you get a punishment and then you go and get the next problem right you've got this core loop that you that you're cycling through and as we design levels we're trying to kind of like you know design around that so we're trying to show them like the problem in the other side and then they're trying to figure out how to do it and the article goes into really good areas where to present scares for the player do you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's, it's a really good good way to do that there are some games that are lovely the way they the reward a kind of player compartmentalization of their 
objectives and, and brain. So games like System Shock 2, where you're, you have a whole load of things that you're worried about. You've got a objective from a Showdown or Polito and um, you have to do that. And you also need some more ammo. You need to repair your weapon. You need to find some chemicals to do some research. You need to get through a locked door and you've got all these things you're juggling. And then you have enemies wandering around making noises and you think, oh no, there's an enemy nearby. And so you, you're juggling all this thing and you're working out priorities. And those, those can be super satisfying games, just giving the player the ability to go, oh look, there's loads of things happening. Come on, work out what it is you want to deal with first. Mm -hmm. And when to exactly have uh, the scary moment happen, like what Mark said, I think that's where we see a lot of horror games. Hey, once you've collected the key, you just know something's going to happen when you backtrack to open that door. Right. You just know it. Yeah. So that's why some games revert that expectation. Nothing happens. But what happens when me once I open the door, will I then get the uh, jump scare that I was waiting for? So it's like sometimes you already know as a player and as a, an experience like, I don't know, horror movie fan or horror game fan if you already did seen this before you kind of expect when things are going to happen so it's really interesting reverting those expectations and maybe having your scares elsewhere too yeah and you can do it the other way as well did you do you play ethan carter mm -hmm. yeah i'm yeah. sure ethan carter so i i went down to this mine and like i was just like there's nothing else that happened nothing had happened in the entire game no enemies or anything i was just bimbling around looking at the scenery turn a corner and there's this bloody zombie right in my face I fell on <laughs> I the floor that shock yeah it was like this sort of thing that it's like a ghost of a miner or something mm. oh god it was really that, oh really yeah scary. yeah yeah it was because i didn't see it and i think it was scripted to appear at the end of a corridor and you're meant to see it and go oh shit there's something coming i better run and then it's there's a like a maze there's a the level design right, there is right. kind of a maze and you go around and around corners a few times and you're meant to try and lose it and I must have just been looking the wrong way when it when it spawned or came around the corner. And so <laughs> I was looking something else on the ground, maybe. And then I turned a corner and this thing was right in my face. And I was just, yeah, it's like Val was saying, it, it subverted the expectations, but completely the other way around because I really didn't expect that kind of gameplay in the game up to then. I think that's what horror games have become, though, right? Because now we've played them for so many years. If we've been gamers for such a long time, we now expect to get jump scares at certain points. So it is now playing the game of, we need to subvert all those expectations so you have to move where the scare is and you have to continually be changing it as well so you can't just have it occur at the same point every time so every time i get the key to unlock the door something's going to jump out at me it has to happen at a different point in time each time you fulfill a requirement or complete an objective and, and that's why you want to subvert it because you have that tension there right you've you, you because you know that's going to happen that's what, how you can subvert it right saying like oh, i've got the key all right, something's going to happen and you don't let it happen. And then you like give them some rope and then you just like get them out. That makes me think about something we were discussing earlier about how horror games don't get funded and how horror games have this really weird relationship with the market. I think the horror, the horror series that have done well and have survived, if you, if you compare Resi and Silent Hill, I think that, Resi has always evolved. Resi has always taken things to a new area and mixed it up and done new things. Whereas mm -hmm. Silent Hill is almost a, become a, a sort of exercise in nostalgia. And where it succeeds, it has when it, it succeeds when it changes. And it doesn't succeed when it's when it's more of the same. And I think that's why Dead Space died out. And I think Dead Space should have died out. 
because Dead Space was amazing. Dead Space 2 was great. And then after a while, I think that people go, well, I've seen all this. I think that publishers need to be more daring in terms of going to new places. Uh, That's where horror is at its best, is when you get a new thing coming in. And I think it's when horror is its weakest, when you get uh, sequelitis that tries to retread past glories, but sort of through a mirror darkly. So each time they become a, a, a reflection of (laughs) <laughs> back to mirror <laughs> a reflection of of what was good yeah. about the game mm-hmm. and it go it, it loses more and more of the thing and people are more and more familiar with the, the what makes that series special what makes Silent Hill special and they become bored with it and you know to to revive Silent Hill with, with like like with what PT did was to take it into a, a very strange new place to get rid of the cliches and tropes that Silent Hill have beat up built up and get rid of you know the radio in the town and just go into yeah. you know pyramid head and exactly like that, exactly right? exactly <laughs> and go into a a, a a new gameplay area a new story area and that's that's mm-hmm. where horror should continue innovating mm-hmm. and yet they still need to retain their the core of what they initially set out to do yeah that's very tough do they i mean i say do they i don't want to be antagonistic has resi kept its core yeah yeah I think this similar like you you would play it and oh it's the puzzles that Resident Evil will have this weird as puzzles that we mm. have and and yeah it's first person now but it still has the inventory and it still has some of it some of the magic you would see but you probably wouldn't like it if it was if it was Raccoon PD in every single one no no you wouldn't like Resident it if it was 7, yeah, yeah if it was the same exact one but Resident Evil 7 even though it changed up it still had some of its um like I guess it's core identity so what do you call it like yeah some of some of the same stuff retained so I think if, if someone who is going to create the new Silent Hill they also have to know the history of Silent Hill so in order to change something you'll, you have to know what it was and, and try to avoid it so like yeah yeah no we know it we're not going to retread that part and this is where where films like Aliens uh, kind of went really well because like you had Alien and Aliens and I'm sorry to bring it back to that Alien Three, which was mu- much to grind, and then they started losing their their mojo. But you know, there was a big difference over decades. Mm-hmm. But that's really hard to do, though. What Rob mentioned, it's really hard to take something, know it by heart, and then say, you know what, we have to change it, but also keep uh, keep what like keep the core alive how, how do you even do that that's pretty yeah i mean res- uh, silent, hill, silent hill 4 was not meant to be a silent hill game yeah. as far as i'm aware it was going to be another game silent hill shattered memories i can exclusively reveal was not meant to be a silent hill game it was called cold heart it was called cold heart and it was not a silent hill game but it was turned into a silent hill game you know these these things publishers uh, they know the power of the ip um mm-hmm. but it's uh it's it is a real challenge to to continue an IP without evolving it, you, mm-hmm. you must evolve. Shatter Memories was um, evolved, right? You would you would say it's a different Silent Hill game, oh, yeah. even though it had a lesser yeah. or like um, yes, whoever else, Harry and, Mason, or whatever. And it's really it funny that there was there was a certain number of the fans who who, and you know, there's this this feedback between the fans and the publishers. You know, there were there were a lot of fans who were very un- unhappy about Shatter Memories because it retconned things, because it retold the story. Um, 
people were, were unhappy with it and because it had major changes in gameplay people were think, saying you know this is not the Silent Hill I want this is not the nostalgic uh, joy that I was expecting and, and that's that, I think that's very problematic because you're never going to get that right unless you do uh, Resident Evil 2 remake of exactly the same thing but with higher graphics right because and that's you know that's what's sold um what do you want a re remake of resident of silent hill one and two with higher it graphics it would still be different maybe though, right resident evil 2 remake was still different it still evolved uh maybe caped i don't know it was in the same setting the same people whatever same story but it, it evolved with the map it was different the inventory was different like the level design was rob's different. meant to talk about the evolution like horror has to evolve with like the changing times and it is important to establish i guess what an ip so not just an individual game, what the IP's core identity is, and then evolve that with new mechanics that are coming along with the times. And like Val said, Resident Evil 2 Remake, yes, same characters, same location. When I played that game, it did feel very familiar in like a good way. The nostalgia kicked in, but also felt very new. Like the gameplay was different because the character control was evolved. Obviously the graphics are 10 times bigger, like inventory system was slightly redesigned, saving and things like that. <laughs> they evolved a simple formula but they didn't like reinvent it and i think that's one thing that some horror games feel feel that is they try to reinvent everything and that's where it loses its identity but we should ask like our listeners what your favorite horror remake is they should tweet us at level design FM. or what remake they really want to see oh yeah yeah even better and that and then we tally that up and sell that information over <laughs> to because remember <laughs> no, i joke now tell us actually what what would be the best remake so get in touch with us tell us what your favorite remake uh is or could be and that's been it from us i'm mark drew Good night. Bye. Bye, everyone. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. The Level Design Podcast has been a Command Studio production. Our editor is Matthew Lever, and this episode has been produced by Bridie Rose.